Genesis 21. All right. So uh, this afternoon, I was driving in my car, and um, the Frank Sontag show is a show that's on KKLA. And I didn't hear all the dialogue, but, but he, a caller called up, and he said, you know, you've been talking about a Christian's response to what happened in Florida. And uh, the caller identified himself as a non-Christian. And Frank says, that's fine. I'm glad you called. And, and here was the caller's uh, question to Frank. He said, you've been talking about a Christian response, how we need to love people and reach out to people with Christ's love. But what's the difference between what a Christian would do and any loving person would do? I mean, I'm not a Christian. The guy confessed it. But you're talking about this love that Christians are supposed to share with people who have been through a tragedy. What makes your love different from what I can offer a person? I just want you to think for a second. How would you answer that? Well, you know, we've met different Christians, and we know there's some Christians that smile more than other Christians, and there's some Christians that seem to be outwardly more loving than other Christians, but... What would the difference be that you would offer a person that an unbelieving person who's very loving couldn't do the same? And I had to think about it a little bit. Maybe you're thinking right now, and I'll tell you what the difference is right after we pray. Father, we come before you right now, and we're here because you first loved us. That's the beauty of the gospel. And you have made us glad. You have filled, us, filled our hearts with joy. And one of the expressions of joy is laughter. The right kind of laughter is beautiful. It's medicine for the soul. And there are going to be, you know, one day the Bible says there's going to be pleasures at your right hand forevermore. Joy. Peter says joy unspeakable and full of glory. So tonight as we look at the birth of Isaac, a miracle birth, Lord, and a birth that has much deeper layers than just what we may see on the surface. Would you make our hearts glad tonight? Would you show us what true joy is about? And would you show us the way to know you better tonight and to walk in your ways by faith? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, maybe your wheels have been turning a little bit as you thought about that question. And here's the difference between what any person could offer if they were a loving person and a Christian. And it's really bound up. Maybe you could think of more of this, but it's bound up in one word. It's a promise. You see, you and I are living our life on a promise. Chuck Swindoll said, it's not whether you can live with your worldview. It's whether you can die with it. You see, what I would offer to someone if I had a chance to minister, and of course I do quite regularly when someone's going through a tragedy, is I offer love. I want the fruit of the Spirit to be flowing through my life, and I know you do as well. But I'm not just going to offer my love to someone. My love can only go so far. I don't know if you've noticed, but things happen in people's lives around us all the time. And we, it's pretty easy for us to move on and forget, especially when it hasn't hit close to my doorstep. Then I can show some sympathy and empathy and even pray and be thinking about what happened to somebody. But, but let's, be all, let's all be honest. We move on. I mean, that's how life is. But if you were able to interact with someone in the midst or the wake of a tragedy and you were able to share the promise with them, the promise is not just about an arm over somebody's shoulder, which I think is a good thing. 
But the promise is that there's a life beyond this life. There's new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness will dwell. God's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. So your worldview, you know, there's a lot of nice non-Christians out there. I would give testimony to that. Sometimes they're nicer than some Christians I've met. (laughs) However, I would still say this. What we give away is not just um, you can make it through this, I'll be praying for you type of love. What we give away is a promise. And the question is, for you and me tonight, do we believe it enough to regularly give it away? This, This chapter is all about that promise and it's entitled Laughter Tonight. That's the name of the birth of the child that will be born in Genesis 21. His name is Laughter. One of the wonderful sounds of life is the laughter of a child. Uh, as my boys were growing up in our household, there was a lot of laughter, and that's a great thing. And dad, you know, you've probably been able to tell from this pulpit ministry that dad's a bit of a goofball. So we had a lot of laughter in the household, and that's, I think that's a wonderful thing. And as seasons have gone by and the boys have gotten older, friends have come over, and you know how kids can be really silly. It seems like uh, a lot of their interactions are centered around laughter. And sometimes as adults, we have to close the door or we say, quiet, or I'm trying to watch this, or however we respond, right? But there's something within our hearts as we get older that longs for that laughter, maybe that kind of like that childlike faith. Now, some of their laughter we might find a little silly, but even as the boys have been teenagers, a lot of their interactions has been laughter. You know, hear laughter coming from another room. Sometimes they're laughing at us as parents, (laughs) but anyway, we won't go there tonight. But laughter is a beautiful thing. Laughter, in fact, is medicine for the soul. Now, I know there's some books in the Bible that kind of mock the wrong kind of laughter, you know, sometimes when someone's laughing, it's covering up pain. And we know, we know that side of the story. And I think we're all biblically informed enough to know there's a silly, ridiculous, wrong kind of laughter. In fact, you know, there's some types of joking that produce laughter that's nothing but just filth, or it's laughter at somebody else's expense. And so we, so we know that that's the wrong kind of laughter. But I hope you and I tonight, when we're done Maybe we can settle one thing tonight. Maybe we can just agree to laugh a little bit more. And I'm talking about now in the right way. Maybe just smile. Can I see your smile tonight? Would you all be willing? Would you just? You, some of you don't want to show your teeth, right? It's okay. You can smile. Um, Craig, uh, Tim Hawkins, uh, wonderful com- Christian comedian, <laughs> I remember I saw one of his, uh, he did this whole comedy routine. And at the end of it, I mean, I was just dying laughing. And he said, many of you needed this tonight, didn't you? And he said, some of you were just like, <laughs> you know, he made this funny face like, you just needed to laugh. Sometimes you, laughter can be almost like a release, just like crying can be. And, you know, somebody once said that maybe you haven't really lived a day until you've laughed and cried in the same day. Um, But anyway, hold your finger in Genesis 21. I know we haven't done a verse yet, but (laughs) it's all right. Psalm 126 is what I want to show you. Psalm 126. And I want to put you for a second maybe in the sandals of of Sarah, who's been waiting forever to have a child. And she's gone through 
her own trials. She's waited a long time. Israel, the nation that would come from the loins of Abraham through Sarah, went through their own trials and tribulations. And maybe you're here tonight and you've been through your own as well. This is Psalm 126. It's a psalm or a song of ascents. And this is what it is. It's verse one, and it says, when the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion. So it's looking back. Psalm 126, one, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue, verse two, with joyful shouting. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Even the nations were saying that. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Verse 5, those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy and bring his sheaves with him. Let's go back to Genesis 21. We know in the hard times, uh, when we go through the hard times, we're waiting. And as Christians, we're waiting on a promise that in many ways has not been fully realized, and that is that that new time, that new heavens and new earth. And as we're here, we're pressing on. We're pressing into God's promises. And God takes us through all these things in life to cause us to grow. He's polishing you. And sometimes as you go through trials, he's preparing you for maybe a bigger test. In Abraham's case, we know we're about to get to Genesis 22. And in Genesis 21, he's going to have to release Ishmael. And that's going to be a very painful time for Abraham. But it's going to prepare him for a bigger test in Genesis 22, a test that I know most of you, if not all of you, are familiar with. He's going to be asked to sacrifice the son of promise. And he's going to be acting out prophecy. And God's been taking him on this faith journey like he does for all of us and preparing him for this note, this time. So this is verse 1, Genesis 21. It says, the Lord took note, Genesis 21, 1, the Lord was gracious to, the NIV, the Lord visited New King James ESV, Sarah. Pakad is the Hebrew word. Uh, it can mean to take note or to visit someone with friendly intention, intentions, gracious intent, can have the idea of looking after, or it can mean to visit someone with judgment, where God sometimes visited certain areas, i.e. Sodom, with judgment. But here the visit was a visit of grace. God had made a promise. God is always true to his promises. And he visited Sarah as he had said, look at verse one, middle of the verse, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. God is faithful to his promises. But we remember in chapter 18, peek back there for a second, as the dialogue was going on about God's promise, Genesis 18, 11, it says, now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. And Sarah laughed to herself. This whole story is going to be about laughter. Sarah laughed to herself, 1812, saying, after I become old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? And the Lord's response, is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And God said, no, but you did laugh. 
And despite Sarah's response to the promise, and if you look back at Genesis 17, 17, when Abraham heard of this particular blessing, Abraham 17, 17 fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, will a child be born to a man 100 years old and will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And so... Abraham's, you know, great faith. Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee, verse 18. They both laughed. But despite their response to the promises, they did not, though they may have wavered in so, at some degree. I know Romans 4 says that, and Hebrews says that, 11 says that uh, Abraham did not waver in unbelief, but they had some incredulity to the promise. It was kind of like, how is this going to happen? It was kind of like, no way. Sometimes when we read promises in the Bible, I think that's often how we might read them. Is this really going to happen? And he who promised is faithful. And so this is a reminder that God can do unexpected miracles in our lives and bring joy in unexpected seasons of life. You know, even when we feel like we're past our prime, even when we feel like maybe you know, we've missed our calling or whatever. God can do incredible miracles. In fact, laughter is coming. God has made promises to us <clears throat> and he sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise. Go back to Genesis 21, 2. So Sarah, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 2, 21, 2, conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the appointed time, God had said this time next year, of which God had spoken to him. So at the appointed time is a Hebrew word called moed. It's spelled like the way we would say, I mowed my lawn, M-O-W-E-D, <clears throat> moed. It means a fixed time, an appointed time. It can point to a festival or a season of time. And here, it was the specific time that God had promised. God made a promise, and in that specific time, the promise came to pass. Those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles, right? This is what we do. We wait for the Lord. We wait on his promises. I've been spending a lot of my Christian life for the last several decades now waiting on the Lord. <laughs> Actually, I spent a lot of my Christian life crying out for help. Can I get a witness? All right, so I'm not alone. Because God puts me in situations all the time which are much bigger than me. And they, they seem, sometimes I, I have to laugh, like, Lord, are you sure? <laughs> and so I spend a lot of my time, at least a decent amount of my time, on my knees asking God for help. And that's not a bad place to be. Although it's not the most comfortable place to be. But sometimes I just laugh at what he's doing. <laughs> It cracks me up because God is so gracious and so good. And so Abraham, verse 3, Genesis 21, called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah born to him or bore to him, Isaac. Or you might say it, Isaac, and his name literally means laughter. Isaac was born. The name that they were to call the child was given by God. And now the time came. And his name means laughter. How much laughter do you think occurred at the birth of a child to a 90-year-old woman? Don't you think that 
there was a lot of laughter going on. Like people, <laughs> can you imagine uh, when the cry came in the, in the little community there and in the tent and Abraham had a lot of servants and you know, he had a lot going on there. Can you imagine when the cry of Isaac went up, how many people just went, no way. <laughs> can you? I wonder how many times Sarah held the baby, nursed the baby, and just, you know, a lot of us first parent, when you're first a parent, you just stare at the child, right? You're just like, you're like, wow. And when, when you're expecting your first one, other parents will try to explain to you what the feeling's going to be like, and they'll say to you, usually honestly, I can't even describe what you're going to feel. But God's going to just do something in your heart that's going to link you to this child. And I wonder how many times laughter went up to heaven. I wonder how many times there was laughter in the camp and heaven smiled. And God, if we can put it this way, got the last laugh. In fact, he always does. You know, there's in Psalm chapter 2, when the, the human nations and kings are depicted at as you know, shaking their fist at God and, and they want to assemble their armies to fight God, the Bible says God he laughs. Like, look at these little pipsqueaks. Michael, the archangel, get a load of this, right? God knows what he's doing. He has made me glad. You know, I don't always realize the promises in the moment and sometimes I don't always feel that they're here, but God sometimes just says, Michael, walk by faith. Don't walk by sight. Don't walk by what you see. Trust me. And we all go through these times where, you know, we don't always have the evidence right in front of us. And God says, I want you to walk on a promise and rise above your circumstances. And so laughter came. There are beautiful parallels between the birth of Isaac and the birth of Jesus. A lesser miracle is Isaac's birth. It, was done, it happened in a natural way, but it was still miraculous. Jesus' birth was definitely supernatural. From the lesser miracle to the greater miracle, Isaac becomes a type of Jesus Christ. In the next chapter, uh, Abraham becomes a type of the father who would offer um, <clears throat> his son, his only son on the mountain, when Mary was told by the angel that she's going to uh, give birth to a child, she says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And Luke 137 says, nothing will be impossible with God. Do you see the parallel? Sarah didn't believe it. And God said, nothing is too difficult for the Lord. Mary, who had more faith than Sarah, uh, said, I'm the bondservant of God, but how can this be? And the response of the angel was, nothing will be impossible for God. Both children were named before they were born. You will bear a son and call his name Jesus. And in Genesis 17, 21, Sarah will give birth to this appointed son and his name will be called Isaac. You can look at, uh, I don't have that verse right in front of me. But anyway, both names in some ways were symbolic. Uh, this, this particular child, Isaac, would bring joy and laughter almost surprising laughter, and Jesus, of course, would bring joy to many people. In fact, the angel in Luke 2, 10, 11 says, I bring you good news of 
great joy which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David has been born for you a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This baby made the angels sing. I don't know if angels were singing at the birth of Isaac. I don't know if heaven was laughing at the birth of Isaac, but I know angels were singing at the birth of Jesus. Amen? Gloria in excelsis Deo, right? Glory to God in the highest. Great story. Do you believe it for you? Do you believe that these promises are actually for you tonight? That you're part of the story? That God wants to do incredible things in your life? Well, here's Abraham, verse 4, and he circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old. This was the Abrahamic covenant recorded in uh, chapter 17, verses 10 through 14. Every child born was to be circumcised the eighth day. The number eight is the number of new beginnings. And so the child was circumcised. Jesus was circumcised, by the way. John was circumcised. And this meant that you were part of the nation. To be circumcised in the Abrahamic covenant meant you were part of Israel, but it meant something else. It was a cutting away of the flesh. If you cross-reference Exodus 22:30, it has the idea of releasing the child to God. In Christian churches, uh, most evangelical churches, although this does happen in some Christian churches, we don't baptize children, but we dedicate them. And when we dedicate a child, what we're saying, what those parents are saying, whether they know it or not, is I am dedicating this child to your service, O oh God. It's almost a type of circumcision, if you will, because what it means is this child, even though I, I know this child is mine for a season to rear the child and take care of the child, ultimately this child belongs to you, God. And so that's another layer of circumcision. Now Abraham, verse 5, was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And part of the miracle here is Abraham was not only given strength and Sarah to bear Isaac, but after Sarah died, write this down, Genesis 25, 1 and 2, Abraham remarried. He married a woman named Keturah. And get this, he had six more sons and lived to the age of 175. Moses, when he got going really with his ministry, was 80 and so some of us, you know, when we get a little older, we're moving to a retirement age, perhaps we think, well, you know, maybe I'm not going to be as usable. But you know what? God did incredible things through younger people and older people in the Bible. And Sarah said, God, verse six, has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And every time they called him, Isaac, dinner's ready. What they were saying is, laughter, come, come and get your dinner. Laughter, every time they called him. The whole story, his name is a reminder of God's faithfulness. He has made me glad. Psalm 92. I'm going to just read it. This is verses one through four. It says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to thy name, O Most High, to declare thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness by night. With a ten-stringed lute with, and with the harp, with resounding music upon the lyre, for thou, O Lord, hast made me glad by what thou hast done. 
I will sing for joy at the works of thy hands, Psalm 92, 1 through 4. I'm a little biased, but when my son was up here playing piano, I felt like I was on holy ground tonight. Did you? Sometimes I don't even know how to express. I know as sometimes worship leaders look out and they sometimes wonder, you know, what's going on in our hearts. But sometimes I can't even sing the words. But I'm, I'm worshiping my God. And the child grew, verse 8, and he was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Now, in Hebrew culture, they would wean the child at about three years old. So Isaac, in all likelihood, is three And dad throws a big barbecue. He has a big party. He wants to celebrate this event, which was big in Jewish culture, kind of a step up, if you will, in childhood. And so he throws a big party. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, that's Ishmael, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham. And what was he doing? He was mocking. Now, you got to just pause in the story for a second. And the son of promise is born and everything's wonderful. And he has made me glad. And there's laughter in the camp and people are sending cards to Abraham and Sarah and stories are being told in the town. But if you're Hagar and Ishmael, they may have spent a lot of time in the corner with an upside down smile. I don't find this humorous at all. You know why? Her son was being supplanted. You know, there may, I mean, even Abraham thought for a time that he was going to be the son. And, you know, maybe Hagar was holding on to that. And now all of a sudden, here's this little kid bopping around and they're having a weaning party for him. I don't even know, what is that? A weaning party, right? And there's some mockery going on. Some of the irony here, uh, at this time, Ishmael is... um, Oh, I think he's about 15 or 16 years of age right now. And so he's mocking the little three-year-old. See the word he was mocking at the end of verse 9? This is um, to make fun of. It's actually an intensive form of Isaac's name to laugh. And so we can understand Ishmael's resentment, and he started mocking the kid. He's like, oh, yeah, let me tell you something, laughter. And I don't know what he was doing, but you can imagine a teenager with a three-year-old, and you know how siblings can be sometimes. It's not always pretty, even the real little kids, right, with the teenagers in the household. Well, Sarah looked over there, the party's going on, and, and, you know, here's Ishmael, and I don't think he likes the kid very much at all. Galatians 4.29, which uses this whole scene as an allegory, says that the, the son of the flesh, Ishmael, was persecuting him who was born according to the spirit. He was persecuting the son of promise. Therefore, she, Sarah, verse 10, said to Abraham, drive out this maid and her son. For the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son, Isaac. And the matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. His wife pulled him aside in the party and said, do you know what that teenage boy that was born to you through Hagar. I'm, still, I'm sure she's still a little bitter about it, right? He's mocking your son. But he is my son too. I know, but I want him out of here tomorrow. <laughs> you ever been in that kind of spot? What do I do now? I mean, Abraham loved Ishmael. He had spent years, you know, pouring into this son and he was greatly distressed 
An allegorical picture arises in Galatians 4, 21 through 31. I'm not going to take you there now, but I would ask you to write it down. Galatians 4, 21 through 31, where Paul takes an allegory. He's not saying that the scripture should not take been taken in a literal sense, but through the Holy Spirit, he says there's an allegory. There's a, there's a, a picture here between Ishmael and Isaac, and it's this. Ishmael is the son of the law, the son of the flesh. And Isaac is the son of promise or the son of the spirit. And here's the allegory. The, the son of the flesh needs to go. We know that Ishmael was birthed through an action of the flesh, trying to help out God, if you will. And that son had to go. And you and I, when we have things in our past, we have things that have been produced by the flesh, we need to get them out of our lives. Now, some people might say, well, that's pretty insensitive. No, God was going to take care of this family as well. He's going to take care of Sarah and Ishmael as well. But that's the analogy. That's the allegory in Galatians 4, 21 through 31. God said to Abraham, I'm sure Abraham was probably in prayer. Excuse me, my voice is going here. Maybe his prayer was something like, God, what do I do? Look at verse 12. And God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. That's when, as a husband, I ask for clarification from the Lord. <laughs> Lord, was that you? Are you sure? Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. And the son of the maid, I will make a nation also because he is your descendant. So God's direction to Abraham was, listen. You know, maybe part of the problem here was Ishmael was Abraham's backup plan. You got one of those? Do you keep some, quote unquote, Ishmael's around just in case? In case the promise doesn't work out, in case, you know, are you a plan A, B, and C -er? Okay, if this doesn't work, honey, if prayer doesn't work... <laughs> If God doesn't come through, then, right? No? And maybe that's what was going on here. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce says, I tend to think of the separation here as, as preparation for Abraham's supreme test. Abraham had to trust God and release any backup plans that pointed to Ishmael. Is God asking you to release a backup plan tonight? Is he saying, just trust me. I told you, you're going to make it. This is where you're going to end up. And so Ishmael's have to be released. And Abraham rose early in the morning, 14, took bread, a skin of water, gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder. He gave her the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. And from our understanding of scripture, he never saw Ishmael again. God was gracious. He took the self-created mess of Abraham and Sarah and worked it all together for good. How many messes has God worked out for you? How many times has he taken the tattered pieces of our lives, messes that we've created and still turned them together for good? God is so good to us, isn't he? And so Abraham had to bear, bid him farewell. And off went the son of the flesh. And the water in the skin was used up 15, and she, Hagar, left the boy under one of the bushes. 
Then she went and sat down opposite him, a bow shot away, and she said, do not let me see the boy die. They're out of water. They're in the desert. She sat opposite him. She lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the lad crying, and the angel of God, who will appear in the next chapter, the angel of the Lord, the same one who intervened to stop Abraham from killing Isaac, called to Hagar from heaven, the angel of God, I believe is Jesus here, and said to her, many of you need to mark this in your Bible tonight. What is the matter with you, Hagar? (laughs) I just want to ask you, this has struck me. Have you ever felt like there was a voice from heaven that said that to you? Maybe you're in a corner doing some stinking thinking. Maybe you're ready to hang it up, give up, mail it in. You're not sure you can be a Christian anymore, and you're over here in a corner, and you say, everybody's bailed on me. You don't even hear me pray anymore. And God says, what's the matter with you, Michael? (laughs) Did you attend What's the Matter You University? I'm Italian, so that's where you get that. What's the matter, you? Right? What are you doing? You ever have moments like that? Where God says, do you believe any of this stuff? Do you, do you really believe your Bible? And you say, Lord, right now I need some help. And so when the water's used up and things aren't looking good, well, she cried to heaven, and here's the answer. You might want to mark this as well. Do not fear For God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Don't be afraid. Arise. I mark this in my notes. Lift up the lad. You know, sometimes as more mature Christians, we need to do more lifting up other people. Amen? But how can you lift up others if you yourself aren't lifted up by God? Amen? And so, arise. Get up. Stop doing what you're doing. Lift up the lad. Hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. And that's what God promised earlier. And then God, would you notice in your Bible, opened her eyes. I marked that in my Bible because it made me think of the scene between Elisha and Gehazi when the chariots were coming in. And he said, alas, my master, 2 Kings 6, what shall we do? And he said, do not fear those who are with us or more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, oh, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. We sing that. We need to pray that more. And so notice what happens. God opened her eyes. She saw a well of water. There was a provision there, and she couldn't see it because of her tears or whatever was going on. But there was a provision there, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave it to the lad to drink, gave the lad a drink. And God was with the lad. And he grew, and he lived in the wilderness and became an archer. And he lived in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. That's where... uh, Hagar was from originally. Now, it came about at that time, as we wind down, we'll see this is bookend between, uh, remember the lie that uh, Abraham told to Abimelech that Sarah was his sister? He meets this guy again, and here's how the text finishes. Now, it came about at that time that Abimelech, he's the king of what later would be the land of the Philistines, and Phicol, 
the commander of his army spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. They saw that. Now, therefore, swear to me, 23, here by God, that you will what? Not deal falsely. <laughs> Sound familiar? She's my sister. She's my sister. Yeah. Don't feel, deal falsely with me or with my offspring or with my posterity. But according to the kindness that I have shown you, you shall show to me and to the land in which you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I swear it. But Abraham complained to Abimelech because of the well of water which the servants of Abimelech had seized. And Abimelech said, I did not know who has done this thing, neither did you tell me, nor did I hear it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen, he gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves, and Abimelech said to Abraham, what do these seven ewe lambs mean, which you have set by themselves? And he said, you shall take these seven ewe lambs from my hand in order that it may be a witness to me that I dug this well. It's mine. I want it back. Therefore, he called the place Beersheba because there the two of them took an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba and Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, arose and returned to the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba. I just want to make one final point about laughter. Do you remember that the last scene in the Bible that we studied together was Abraham lying to Abimelech, deceiving him, but God worked it together for good. And he warned Abimelech in a dream, you touch her and you're dead. She's married. And so Abimelech confronts Abraham and Abraham says, well, I didn't think any of you people feared God around here. And so he ends up praying for him. But as Abraham walked away from Abimelech, what do you think Abimelech was thinking after that interaction? Yeah, he may be a prophet of God, but he's a hypocrite. Do you think there was a little bit of a bad taste in Abimelech's mouth? Like maybe the witness was a little tarnished. Anybody, maybe some of you are relating to this. You have an interaction that's taken place. You haven't resolved this with this person. Maybe the person's a non-Christian and you were not the greatest witness in that interaction. Well, look at what happens here. God has allowed an opportunity to heal this interaction. This is even a restoration of that relationship that had been left a bad taste and God allowed it to be healed and both men were able to move forward and perhaps even to laugh about it later. Do you remember when you said she was your sister? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I remember that. You remember how God told me he was going to kill me in my dream? Yeah, I remember that, right? And somehow God allows a restoration to occur. You may be going through something tonight where you need that to occur. Look at what Abraham does at the end. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree. I think it speaks of blessing and prosperity at Beersheba. There he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. I'm sure he called upon him in worship and thankfulness. And Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days. He has made me glad. The story, your story in Christ will end in laughter. Joy unspeakable. That's the end of the book. Forever and ever. We'll be with him. Fullness of joy. Pleasures at his right hand forevermore. Psalm 16. The question is, is he your Lord? Are you walking that faith walk right now? Do you know him? 
Do you know the blessings and the goodness of God? If you want to know him in this way, one of the things that you need to do is decide to meet him. And I know this room is filled with a lot of Christians, but if you don't know him, you're not sure that you know him, make him Lord of your life. King, if you want to call him Lord, do you know what you're saying? You're saying that he's your master. That's what the word Lord means. And it is about trust, believing that he will be true to his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've made us glad. Thank you that you are an awesome God. Thank you that we can offer to people a God who is true to his promises. You know, you, many hundreds of years before Jesus came, 500, 1,000 plus years, you made a promise. A Messiah would come. You told about the place of his birth. You told about the way he would die. You even prophesied his resurrection, his betrayal. And it took a long time. In Isaac's case, 25 plus years. In Jesus' case, some of the prophecies, people had to wait for a thousand years. That's a long time. But then it happened. And Jesus came, and he was born on that Bethlehem night to save us, to make us new again, to give us hope again. This is what we give to our world, a reason for the hope that is in us, and we do it with gentleness and respect. Lord, thank you that you're with us on the sojourn and that this story will end in laughter. And whatever may be weighing on our hearts tonight, help us to release it to you. Help us to release the Ishmaels in our life to you. The things that we've allowed the flesh to dominate, areas of our life, let us let it go. Let us think on that voice from heaven, what's the matter with you? I'm going to open your eyes and open our eyes to blessings that we often miss, Lord, right in front of us. Make our hearts glad. Fill us with joy. Not a plastic smile, but joy that flows from the fountain of God. As we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. Let us not grow weary. Let us keep our eyes on him. What he started, he will finish. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand?